0: You want to look at how strategies perform in markets that were in different conditions. Was it volatile or was that period quiet? Was it in a strong uptrend in stocks or was there high inflation or low inflation? That's really important when you look at a strategy because what you're looking to do is to develop what's called a robust strategy, which means that it can work in many different market environments.
1: Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Welcome to the Market Call Show. This is Lewis Giannis. I am the founder of WealthNet Investments. Today, we have an interesting topic and I'm really excited about diving in, so let's get going. investors need a sound foundation for making investment decisions that are not clouded by human flaw and emotion it's amazing how often people make investments based on tips news or opinions rather than on sound factual research what we really want to do is think like a doctor or scientist so that is the basic topic of today's conversation and i want to just dive in because investors should think like a doctor I guess you could think about pharmaceuticals as an example. There's always cases where you go, oh my gosh, that drug didn't work out and things like that. But we know that science has made huge strides in the medical field. And we use double-blind tests. We have hypotheses that we start from. We look at data. We observe the data. We look at statistical significance testing. All these concepts can help you make better decisions and then create drugs. We have drugs today that are unimaginable had we known about them, You know, we wouldn't even have thought of these drugs working 20 years ago, 50 years ago. So think about that. So in the investment world, the difference between the investment world and say physics is that human beings are involved and human beings do not act consistently the same way all the time, but they have tendencies. So, the actual efficacy of these strategies, meaning the percent often that they're always perfectly right, is smaller than it would be with, say, physics. Because physics, we have hard science or hard physical laws that tend to exist. But the important good news is that you don't have to be at that high significant level of accuracy like in science in the world of investing especially when you use risk management. You just need a slight edge in order to do better than the average. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about how we could think like a scientist first of all. So investment managers first they need to think about are your returns satisfactory after taxes and transaction and impact costs? So basically what this means is that if you have an idea of how you would select an investment, how you would construct a portfolio, a manager should actually Simulate that and say, how would that have actually done? And knowing that the simulation is never going to be perfect in terms of what happens in the future, it gives us clues as to what it may be like. And it also gives us an idea about what some of the problems could be with a particular way of viewing an investment strategy. So you want to look at how strategies perform in markets that were in different conditions. Was it volatile or was that period quiet? Was it in a strong uptrend in stocks or was there high inflation or low inflation? That's really important when you look at a strategy, because what you're looking to do is to develop what's called a robust strategy, which means that it can work in many different market environments. So you don't want to have some strategy that only works in one particular environment. It's ideal to have a strategy that is more robust. That may mean you have different approaches during different market conditions or different economic conditions, but the overall process and strategy should be robust. That is really something that's really important to think about because the environment has a lot to do with what's working. For example, most recently, what has been working has been really being much more risk off taking money off the table on stocks and not buying lows because we're basically have been in a bear market for a while so as stocks have been going down it doesn't matter all the stocks go down in fact even the very best highest quality stocks still come down you have to have a conditional strategy so in other words your strategy should be flexible enough to alter based on what's happening in the overall conditions in the marketplace So is your tactics robust enough to work under extreme market conditions? One of the things that you always wanna think about, there's this concept of taking things to its extreme. If you take something to its extreme, what would be the effect? And the reason why this is important, I'll just use one example, is nobody would have ever guessed that the oil futures, the futures on the crude oil contracts would ever be a negative number. Like who would say, wow, I have a negative price for crude oil, that's like impossible. Well, it actually happened. So you have to kind of look at things at extremes too so you can understand or develop your strategy in a way so that it can work within extremes. Because wars happen, crazy things happen in the world, and you have to have fail safes in order to make sure that your strategy is able to withstand those extremes. One of the things you wanna know is what are the underlying drivers Of your strategy. So what are the drivers of the returns? Are they logical and do they make sense? Because your assumptions are really kind of the basis of everything. And this reminds me of the concept of first principles thinking. First principles thinking, you basically say, okay, what problem am I trying to solve? And based on that problem, what are the things that I know to be true? that I know to the very most extent that I possibly can to be true and those would be your first principles and once you've laid out those and you laid out what am I assuming what are my basic assumptions around what this problem is then you could actually do logical reasoning around those first principles and triangulate into solutions to your problem that you're trying to solve so in this case the problem we're trying to solve is is making good returns after taxes and inflation. At least that's kind of what I'm talking about in this show here. So making good competitive returns, robust returns over long periods of time that will beat taxes and inflation is the idea. So what do you absolutely know about the situation and then what can you triangulate into? So what are those assumptions? You wanna know like what is the chance that the strategy will perform better than randomly just throwing a dart? This gets into some statistical work. That's why I really like looking at data and hard data rather than just stories. I love stories, and we all love stories, and a lot of times those stories can be meaningful and lead to good profits. What I mean by story is like, what is the story behind a particular company and why it should do well? And what is the narrative that leads you to believe that this will be a good investment or a bad investment? Those narratives are important, but narratives without numbers, I always say this, (laughs) narratives without numbers are really meaningless. you got to have numbers to back it up, and that's why I like to use strategies and simulations, because that could help you make a better decision. So, scientific evidence proves that we tend to make systematic mistakes regardless of intellect. So, this is the thing that's really interesting. You could talk to, and I've seen, Many great analysts that have just tremendous intellect. They really are smart. You listen to them and you go, oh my gosh, there's no way this guy could be wrong. And they could be making systematic errors and be wrong. There are some guys and gals on Wall Street that are so convincing. And you have to stop and look at it and say, okay, that was a narrative. Now let's look at the data. <laughs> so that's really important. Lately I've been looking at some data with various things. I won't bring them up because they're kind of political in nature even though I'm not wasn't looking at them for political reasons, but they could be assumed to be political. And the data was just so completely off from what you're hearing on the news. Like completely off and it's like, "Hmm, that doesn't make any sense." So when you go from first principles off of the data, you go, "Okay, that doesn't make sense."
1: If you worry about your investments, need to make complex financial decisions or pay unnecessary taxes, the lack of proper financial planning and investing may already be costing you a great deal. When you are ready to turn your piece of wealth into peace of mind, go to wealthnetinvest.com and click on the schedule a call button to talk to us and get a free consultation today.
0: I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the systematic errors that we can make and that leads to opportunity. Let's just go through some of these. The first one would be hurting. Hurting behavior is the tendency of individuals to mimic the actions of other people, whether those actions are rational or not. Individually, most people will not necessarily make irrational choices. So when we're just individually, we won't necessarily make a bad choice. That's irrational. But when we are part of a larger group, we tend to follow the herd. We all want to think we are rational beings, but that's not supported by the facts we need to think independently it's really tough if you're always listening to what everybody is saying around you you'll get this herd thinking which leads to systematic errors the next one is overconfidence this feeling leads us to trade too often or to invest too heavily in a particular asset we're definitely seeing that right now based on the data i mean you could look at the percentage of assets in households right now that is in stock. And it is at highs near the high end of the historical range. I was just looking at some research that was actually put out by Ned Davis and Ned Davis research plotted the percentage of stocks as a whole compared to the net worth of households. And that number is really high and it was a very long term chart. So that's something that we see right now. We are self-assured of our superiority. Not everyone can be an above-average investor, yet we all tend to think we are. This can lead people to trust their gut rather than to do homework. Believe it or not, many times a gut feeling is not as good of a source for decision-making. That is true. I actually was talking to a good friend of mine who was a trader. I believe he was trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And this was a long time ago, obviously, when he was trading on the New York Stock Exchange. But he said the very best traders I knew were all gut. And so you hear that a lot of times. And basically, I know there's some research out there that says if somebody is trusting their gut, there's some information that is coming in their mind that is part of that gut, and it's usually from experience. So there is an element there. I don't want to diminish the gut feeling because there is an importance to that, especially when you have a lot of experience. When you don't have a lot of experience, your basic gut feelings can absolutely get you into trouble in the investment world. Because we are, in a sense, wired, if you will, even though there's no wiring in our brain. But we are, in a sense, conditioned to survive based on certain emotions. And those emotions can get us in trouble in the investment world. Overreaction would be the next one I want to talk about. Overreaction is when you describe the tendency of people to overreact to new information. How many times are we swayed by the financial news or some other media In many cases, this leads investors to buy or sell immediately without knowing the facts or estimating the consequences. Inevitably, prices will overshoot up or down. The important news means nothing to the value of an asset a year or two later. That is so true. Sometimes we can have one piece of news that we put way too much emphasis on, which leads me to the next thing to talk about, which is recency. Recency has to do with we are prone to put more emphasis and more important on recent information rather than older data. This is a problem because something that happens today is not necessarily more important than if it had happened a week ago. And you can see that a lot of times, especially during bear markets, a lot of times you could have these big, you know, you're heading down and you're trending down, but you could have these big up day moves. And maybe even for some time, you could have these big rallies in a bear market called a bear market rally. And there's a lot of times there's really short term, recent news that it kind of drives that, but the overall long term trend is still down. And then eventually that is recognized and it rolls over. And that can happen on the other side, on the bullish side, the overall positive trend is still in place, but there's something short term negative. And I think it's really important to, when you're doing your analysis, is try to ascertain those things that are relative to the longer term trend, so that you can understand the basic bias of the market rather than trying to put too much emphasis on one single data point. So you, you can also get into situations where you just don't even believe the data that's coming out because you're so biased about things. When the markets are turning, you see that a lot, whether up or down, there's clear data that things are changing, but people are still anchored to the data that was in the past. So it can go both ways. That was one of the things I wanted to cover with you is just talk about some of the reasons why we have these opportunities that come into existence, and it has to do with the fact that we're not perfect, and we can use data to help us to make better decisions so we don't fall into those traps. Another thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was overlapping holdings that are in investments, and this is the reason why I'm bringing this up is this actually goes to the mental flaws part of our world here when we're investing. A lot of people have portfolios where they blend a lot of mutual funds together. They may have two to 10 or maybe even 20, I've seen mutual funds that are blended together in a portfolio or various types of funds, exchange traded funds. And what you see a lot of times is that there's a lot of overlap in the holdings. And so there's a bunch of hidden risks because there's concentration in those portfolios, I'm thinking about somebody who had a 401k or who has a 401k that had lots of concentration in one particular area and now had a very bad experience in the most recent performance because of that. You think you're diversified because you have all these funds. They're supposed to all be diversified, but if all your funds have overlapping holdings, think of a think of like a Venn diagram where two are overlapping. The bigger the overlap, the more the risks. That's something that really can make a difference. So when we're thinking like a scientist, we have to actually develop strategies that have a basis for helping you make good decisions when times are good and times are bad. And it's sometimes those decisions will come and they don't seem so rational to you when you think about it on the surface. They may not even feel good. But then when you go through the logic, if you have sound logic in your strategy, you'll see, okay, it makes sense for us to either buy or to sell that particular investment. And because we, you know, again, we have so many flaws in the way that we think. And there's a lot of different strategies that are out there that look to make absolute returns based on things. But the basic concept has to do with what's called explanatory variables, which is basically forecasting, kind of a fancy word for what are the things that determine when an investment's gonna do well or not. And so we want to have explanatory variables, things that we are looking at that actually move the needle, not just noise. We want to look at the important things. Milton Friedman, a great economist, said that the only relevant test of the validity of a hypothesis is comparison of the prediction with experience. So that's essentially what you're doing to find explanatory variables is looking at the logic of something you're looking at. Let's just say earnings, for example. We think earnings are important for the growth of a company and the value of a company. Now, what does the actual data show when we look at earnings relative to price? How well does it forecast price? I'm not going to go into all the nuances of that, and I don't obviously nobody really knows all the nuances, but there's a lot of data that would be surprising to many people if you saw the data that earnings don't necessarily coincide to what people would think just naturally. So there's a concept of mean reversion, for example. Some investments will mean revert, so which means if it goes down, 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 then it's going to go up, 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 back to the the average, the mean. And vice versa, if in a stock goes way, way above mean, then it can come down to the mean. And one of the things that, for example, we know is that mean reversion tends to work in the longer term time horizons, like say over a year, over two years, over three years, or even over five years. But mean reversion in price does not tend to work in shorter time frames. and in fact the concept of momentum in price tends to work more in the intermediate term. So, in other words, what I mean is that if a stock is moving, say, up really fast, more than average than most companies over the three, six, 12 month period of time, it tends to actually do better in the next. Three twelve in the next intermediate term. So you can actually have shorter term momentum that actually follows through where you can make money. But if you were to pick the best performing stocks over longer periods, you tend to have the opposite effect. It tends to be mean reverting. You know, we know that turnover can be both good and bad. You know, the, how fast you trade a portfolio could be good or it could be bad. Some of the data shows that higher turnover is bad. Other data shows that it can be good as long as there is a method that makes sense on why it's being done. So there's just so many different things. It applies to asset allocation, but the overall concept is that I'm hoping to actually leave with you today is that it's throw away that dartboard. There are ways that we could do better than just owning all of the market. Over time, we have a great opportunity to manage risk and seek opportunities using a systematic method thinking more like a scientist and talking less about a story. So I'm Louis Giannis and this is the market call show. Thank you so much for listening in. And if you like this, feel free to subscribe, tell your friends, share it with friends and be sure if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, the financial freedom blueprint that's available today. Actually you can get a signed copy by going to the show notes, and clicking on the link there or getting the link there for a signed copy. So all the best to you and yours, and we'll talk soon.
1: For the latest episode of the Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to marketcallshow.com for all our past episodes and sign up to get alerts for new episodes. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a five star review and comments. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.